And hello, everybody. How are you? Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. Very happy here with you today. It is Wednesday, January 26, 2022. And so much awesome stuff is happening as we speak. And I have a very special return guest that's going to be joining me in a moment here. His name is Corporal Daniel Bulford. He represents police on guard for thee. And uh, he's a true patriot. He's a Canadian hero. And I also urge you to go back and check out the first interview that I did with Daniel, um, where they first launched Mounties for Freedom. And we had a really good conversation. So I'm excited to get some updates from him on everything happening in Canada, the trucker convoy, etc. cetera. Uh, but right before we do that, I have a nice little video that I want to bring up for you uh, as everybody's jumping in. And uh, I think this is what's going on with this trucker convoy. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I've never seen anything like this. I did a show yesterday or the other day talking about it, but so much has happened even since then. Um, so, so many good signs. There's a flame of freedom going across Canada right now. That's truly, truly incredible. So uh, let's just check out this quick little recap and then I'll go ahead and bring on my guest. Here we go. All you ladies and gentlemen out there trucking it, keep on trucking. Yeah, this is a freedom for everybody, not just truckers. It's for everybody to end all mandates across the country. Just a greeting from Manitoba. I wanted to say thank you to all the truckers. I'm a nurse that got laid off from, uh, from our southern Manitoba hospital. And we tried to fight a group of 91 of us. We're just so grateful to hear that the trucks have stepped up and you're all in our prayers. And we are right behind you. So go truckers. Thank you, truckers. Say thank you, truckers. Thank you, truckers. Hey, big shout out here from Houston, Texas. You guys keep on trucking. We're rooting for you. We need you. Great job, guys. You guys keep it up. We're so proud of you. 10-4, rubber duckies. That, that is right. You guys keep it up. We are proud of you. We are behind you. Um, and I am just so excited to see what's going to be happening just days from now, moments from now. We live in incredible times, and clearly the fight is not over yet. With that said, I'm going to welcome all my guests. Very happy to have him here. There he is. The one, the only, Corporal Danny Bulford. Um, Danny, it's so good to see you. Thanks for jumping on with me again. You have been incredibly busy fighting this fight, doing speeches, going to these different events, trying to get the truth out there. You've just started your own podcast with Mounties for Freedom. Uh, just give us a quick update uh, since our last talk about what's been going on in your world and, uh, and where Mounties for Freedom is at right now. Uh, well, thank you for having me. And first of all, Mr. Whitehead, thank you for being the first person to give me a platform. And man, ever since that first podcast, it's just it's been, honor. it's been full steam ahead. It's been great. Um, you know, uh, definitely a roller coaster of experiences and emotions over the last few months, but uh, we're in it now. I mean, there's no going back and we're, we're committed to doing whatever we can to help 
get uh, our fundamental freedoms back. And I tell you this, I think this trucker convoy has given me probably the most hope I've had in well, all of 2021 and certainly Same. all of 2022 um, for myself and Mounties for Freedom. Yeah, we've been actively involved in a number of different initiatives. Um, me mostly uh, predominantly being the, the spokesperson and, you know, meeting people from all over Canada, uh, reaching out that they want, you know, they want to work with Mounties for Freedom. They want to connect with us. So a lot of my time is spent on phone calls and Zoom meetings, uh, networking and trying to connect uh, the right people so that we can try and work together as a, as a, as a collective to try and get our country back. And actually on that note, as a result of my time with uh, Mounties for Freedom, I actually became involved with another group called Taking Back Our Freedoms. And oh, great. They, they, they've been really, they've been very active bringing together people from multiple disciplines to try and, 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 and multiple uh, freedom fighting groups to try and kind of formulate more of a coordinated response. Because I mean, at the beginning, this was new for all of us, right? And um, uh, right. a great deal of us were very much, you know, acting independently and then kind of stumbling into each other or connecting with each other because, hey, I saw this person speak and, you know, just building uh, informal networks that way. So, yeah, I'm with Mounties for Freedom and also helping taking back our freedoms canada so both groups very uh this is probably the busiest i've been in my career <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing uh, um although actually on that note i uh, officially resigned from the rcmp oh, okay. december 5th de on december 15th of 2021 um a number of reasons for that decision but predominantly to try and secure my family's financial future. Hmm. Now I can discuss that with you in private one day, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, what was that well, like? Like were they, were they already putting the pressure on about the shots and everything? Um, you had come out and suddenly went viral talking openly about this stuff. How did that go? Did you get pulled in the office and like, how did that go? You know, I was expecting to have the hammer drop on me right away, uh, discipline wise, and it, it didn't come and it didn't come. Mm. I was in contact with my direct supervisors. You know, they, we knew that something was going to be coming down the pipe eventually. It's just no one had been given any formal guidance yet. And so as time went on, I was doing my own research as to like, I knew I would be at least subject to like a, a code of conduct because I had, I knew that I was violating the code of conduct anytime I spoke out publicly, which could have been viewed as critical to the government or to the RCMP. So, but I didn't know what extent the punishment would be. So when I was doing my own research into possible outcomes as to what could occur, that was when I came across some specific information that made me decide like, well, I, I felt my only option was to leave. Otherwise I would have been subject to the possibility of losing my job and a significant financial impact as well. So 
and that puts like a black mark on your record that way this way <laughs> it's still honorable right like you still have um hopefully if this thing can get turned around you would still have a doorway back in if you wanted to or do you maybe not even want to go back in like what's your feeling now no i'm 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 no longer considered uh re by the mounties oh, I see. um they okay. they revoke what they what the ultimate discipline was for me was a uh, revocation like i resigned right so mm. they didn't they didn't well i was never aware of any formal code of conduct investigation ever actually being i was never served any documents of any kind um but with my when they granted me my resignation because i had to fill out certain forms and it all had to be okayed like the dates that i wanted to leave etc all had to be signed off by the mm -hmm. superior officers and, and i never got any grief about that but i was they they had revoked my security clearance to the point where i i will i cannot be considered rehired for the uh, to the by the rcmp after this due to my political activity so oh so they they put it in a big bundle i was wondering was it just because of the jabs or was it because you decided to speak your mind and speak the truth, which already, I mean, that's incredible that we don't have the freedom for police officers in this country to be able to call it as they see it, or even other doctors, you know, like it's amazing to watch. It's yeah. Well, I mean, I, I felt like I kind of had a chuckle at it because I was like, oh, well, I guess if that's the worst that's going to happen, that's, that's not the end of the world. But mm -hmm. then in speaking to other members, even some of my family members, they were almost, uh, they were far more upset about that than I was at the time. And, you know, I've known other officers that have been charged and convicted with crimes and they never lost their job and they never even lost their, their pay while they were suspended. So I, I suspect this is just my feelings on the matter is that they were waiting the reason it probably took so long for me to hear anything about discipline was like they were probably waiting to strategize about how they could best address my violation of the code of conduct without creating like a any kind of public relations lash. And so that was kind of their little way of giving me a little a little jab on my way out the door. But um it's okay. Honestly, like you said, I'm so disheartened by the response from our national police and even from our people that are supposed to stand up and fight for us that I don't think I can be a part of that organization anyway. You know, I, I think um, mm. it's instead of trying to play victim and be, oh, woe was me. Instead, I'm going to try and look at this as an opportunity to move on to something new, which will probably give me a greater level of satisfaction and purpose. So oh, try and man. change my perspective. Well, and good. And that's what it takes, right? I think a lot of people are going through that right now. Many people listening to this show have lost their jobs. They've had loved ones mm -hmm. that lost their job, their business, et cetera. And everybody's in this process of recreating themselves and finding out where, where do I fit then, you know? And um, I'm just happy to see so many people refusing to bend the knee, whether they're for the jab and all that or not. They're, they're at least coming together, it seems to be, um, on the freedom issue. And 
it's interesting how you may have allegedly broke code of conduct according to the RCMP. However, here you are taking a stand for the highest law on the land, which is the Charter of Rights and, um, and even the international codes, you know, the Geneva Conventions, the Nuremberg Code, to be attacked for doing that, to be disbarred in a way. Um, that's a badge of honor in my book because, you know, these types of things only continue when we comply with it and nobody speaks out about it. And so your voice, you have no idea how many people you may have reached. Um, it's funny that your story broke out right before this trucker convoy. And it, I know some of the organizers were saying they were thinking of different ways and kind of planning this for a while, but there's been a movement that's happened where we've had some doctors in Canada speaking out. And then of course they get attacked by the media, but they still reach to the public. And then you have the actions of people like Rocco Galati and, and others who they, wherever they're at with the legal case, it, it, they reach the public, you know? Um, and then now we've got this trucker convoy. So it seems to have been building. I wasn't able to see the big picture till we saw what's happened. Uh, I, I was telling you before I came on, I think 72 hours ago, I was ready to start thinking, am I going to be able to raise my kids in this country? You know, like, uh, <laughs> it's just, I was, I couldn't believe there was zero resistance, you know, like not zero, but it felt like zero. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm so proud of my country. Oh my God, we're going to win this. Like, I couldn't believe the turnaround. What was your feeling when the trucker convoy thing hit? I was going through all the exact same emotions that you just talked about right there. Um, you know, I've, I've come into contact with so many amazing, courageous people that are trying to fight this fight. And that was sustaining me for a long time. But when, when I saw the federal health minister come out talking about making man, uh, vaccinations mandatory and working with the provinces, and then right after that, Quebec comes down with their, their health tax. They're talking about vitriol in the media you know, some of the things, you know, opinion polls about whether we should be imprisoned for five days or uh, frog marching us down to clinics and forcing needles into our arms. Like I was in a, I had a few dark days there where I was same thing. I was thinking like, same. my God, I should have got my family out while I had the chance. You know, I, before, before that border closed, that family down to Florida or Texas or Montana, some like a stronghold state. And questioning like do i belong here anymore like if this is right now granted you can never fully well i you, you can never trust what's in the mainstream media right like i mean that that's that's been abundantly clear to me for a long time but this is just they've gone so far um beyond what's acceptable and and from my perspective that that yeah. But that was still, it couldn't help but trigger you a bit, right? Where I was saying, like, if, if this is what Canadians are really okay with, then I think, I don't think I belong here anymore, right? Like, that's that's how I was thinking yeah. and feeling and even wondering, like, man, is, is all this, is all this for nothing? And then as soon as that trucker convoy fired up and it started to just expand and grow, like, so rapidly... And you see like the, the support coming out for it, you know, watching the GoFundMe just jump up like hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour. And yeah. it's like, it's all anyone in my circle is talking about. It just re like you said, completely refilled me with hope that there's a future for my kids in this country. And like, 
you know what the Trudeau liberals and the elites of the world didn't count on? The strength and the courage of the working men and women of this country. That's right. And I just like, it, it seriously gives me chills, man. Like I, I have a lot of friends back home. They work in oil and gas. Some of them drive truck and I just, you know, and those are the people who I get a lot of support from, from back home. Right. And it just, it, it welled me up with pride that like, no, Canada's not done. We, we, this, we have a real fighting chance here of getting the government to back down and restore our fundamental freedoms. And, uh, I just, on that note, I don't know if you've seen it or not, or if any of your, your viewers or listeners have, I'm sure some have, I did, uh, we put a video out just earlier today. I was out walking my dog this morning before I got wrapped up into the busyness of the day, specifically thanking the truckers for their, their loyalty to one another, you know, standing up for each other, regardless of status, which is what all of us should have been doing in our respective professions. Right. And, and thanking them for doing what our law enforcement officers should have done months ago, right? Taking a stand and saying, we are the protectors of this nation. You, this is too far. You don't get to do this and we're not enforcing this. And, but I also tried to follow that up with a message to, you know, my, I have had a lot of support from law enforcement brothers and sisters. And oh, that's good to hear. And I think that, and it seems like that wave is expanding as well. And more and more people are becoming willing to step forward. You know, I think the, the, the concern with many is like, they're worried about how that's going to impact, impact their, their future employment with the organization. Right. And I guess to that, I mean, I can understand it was, it wasn't an easy decision for me to step forward. You know, it took me some time to build up the, the nerve to do it. But I think like right now is a moment in history that's going to be written about. You know, I, I do believe like, yes, it is. Th th this is my generation's moment to do the right thing. And if you're, if you're at home thinking or at work, thinking to yourself, like, man, this isn't right. This is too far and you're in a position to do something about it, stand up and say it. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to agree on everything, but we, I think we can all relate that the right thing to do is to stand up for truth and freedom. And I don't think you can ever go wrong with that. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and if the people that are in positions of authority, like up at the top, like the commissioner, for example, within the RCMP, if she's not willing to fulfill her responsibilities to the Canadian public, then the rest of us have to, right? Um, yeah. So I, I left a message with them that it's not too late, right? Right now is the time, right? This is, is probably, in my, in my perspective, our best chance. Uh, the, these truckers are our best chance at getting our freedom back. So anyone who loves freedom should be on board with supporting them and supporting the cause. And like law enforcement, doesn't matter what profession you're in or how you're affected, get out there and support them, support them on, you know, promote them on social media, support them financially, write your MLAs, write your MPs, however you can carry a banner as they drive by, whatever. I know I'm, I'm going to be actively involved uh, these next few days and I'm going to be 
in person expressing my gratitude to those truckers when they hit Ottawa for sure. Cause you live, you're in Ottawa or near Ottawa, right? Yeah. I live just outside of Ottawa. Yeah. So yeah. So you can easily go in. I mean, I can't, I'm going to be, I, I don't, I can't wait to see what it's going to actually look like when they all, cause there's multiple, multiple convoys that are all going to be converging and yeah. the, it's, it's such a great idea. The one thing I really love about it, even though I know, and I want to ask you in a minute, what you, what you would think about some of the naysaying that's going on about it. But, um, the one thing I love about it is the symbolic nature of it, that so many people have felt ostracized and they've been kept in the side, you know, their family and friends are putting a lot of pressure on them. The media is putting pressure on them. Their work is putting pressure on them and they feel alone. Whereas this is showing Canada, you're not alone. I, I was saying in the last show, it's like people are coming out of the trees, man. They're coming out of every little small little town in Canada, big town, big city, all over, all walks of life. Uh, there's no way they can get away with saying this is some racist, misogynistic, far right Nazi thing. That's just ridiculous. Half the country is involved with this, at least, you know, um, and it just seems to be growing. Someone just put in the chat. It's at five point six million dollars now. So it's almost at like a million dollars a day. And that's you can't get any more grassroots than that, you know, um, mm -hmm. and this is coming right from the people. So I think how cool would it be to unite the clans, any of those police and military out there? or doctors or nurses that were maybe just, they wanted to do what you did. They wanted to speak up, but they were too afraid to do it because they didn't know if Canada would even approve it. Like even I was sitting there going, I think Canada's loving this totalitarian takeover and they don't have any idea that we're at war and all this stuff. But turns out I was wrong. A lot of people are awake. So that's a time that you now have the confidence booster to know that you're not alone. This is massive. And this doesn't just have to be about the vaccine and everything else. This is about a, a lot of problems that have been going on in Canada for a long time with this government, where uh, the problems with the economy, the problems with trade, the problems with the border, the problems with the way the media has been basically paid off to just be a mouthpiece for only one side of this. Uh, the problem within the scientific community where we're not doing science anymore. Uh, we're just taking whoever the authority is who's got the biggest amount of money behind them. And that's the you can't fight it. And that's not science, you know? So there's so many issues that people could galvanize around this movement to say, hey, we don't have to agree on everything like you said, but we can agree on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We used mm -hmm. to agree on that. Let's just start there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to start there. And then we can have our little differences down the road. But let's stay with freedom as the unifying principle, right? Oh, 100%. And, uh, you know, I think regarding the naysayers, like, especially you always notice those themes, right? We talked about those in my, in my first interview with you, like those three general right. themes that I noticed from the official narrative all the time. Number two, I think being like the, the verbal condescending attacks without any real evidence to back it up. So like you always, maybe not always, but it is frequently the case that anytime there's someone who's trying to trash talk the freedom convoy or a freedom movement, they always have to throw in some kind of condescending little jab in there. And to me, when they resort to tactics like that, it's because they know that their arguments are weak. The narrative is crumbling all over the world, right? You look at the Supreme Court decisions coming out of the United States, right? Like constantly shutting down uh, the Biden administration mandates. And I certainly hope that our Supreme Court is taking notice here in Canada I'm sure they are, but 
you know, um, when their story is starting to crumble beneath their feet, they resort to tactics like that to try and, I think there's two, two things at play there. For one, they're trying to maintain that social pressure for people not to speak out and speak their mind because they're worried that they're going to be attacked, like whether it's on right. social media or, you know, even within their own circles, within their own community, people are hesitant to speak out because they don't want to be labeled the anti-vaxxer or whatever uh, derogatory term is being pumped out at the day of, for the day. And I think the second thing that we're seeing, like when you were mentioning like the misogynist and the racist, that kind of language that's being used by people in our government and our uh, media, you know, that was back in September, but it just kind of surfaced in the Anglo, the English speaking Canada just recently, right? Like late December. When I see stuff like that, I can't help but wonder if they're trying to deliberately provoke a reaction from someone, right? Mm. Get people like, you know, dig at people. Like what a bully would do. Yeah. Yes, try, try and elicit uh, an emotional response with the desire that someone's going to lash out, do something destructive or violent, and then that gives them the opportunity to say, you see, we told you these people were dangerous. Now we have to deal with them, right? We told you they were extremists. We yeah. told you they were dangerous. So what I love about this trucking convoy as well is that they have been very, very clear, the organizers, and they've put out like their public statement. And they, I think they've signed a code of conduct and agreement of how they're going to conduct themselves. They're not going to fall prey to that provocation. And that would be something I would plead with. And I think I've mentioned in, uh, in some of the other videos I've done is like, do not fall prey to the provocation, right? Like there, I have no doubt people are going to try and intentionally sabotage and derail the reputation of this convoy. We don't have to, we don't have to fall for it, right? Like conduct yourselves. I know, I know the convoy is going to. So anyone who's coming out in support of the convoy, don't fall prey to provocateurs who may or may not arrive, whether it's online or in person, right? Like be calm, be respectful, you know, try and be with another person if possible so that you have that confidence to conduct yourself with, if someone becomes aggressive or bullying and let's show them how strong we are without falling prey to their own weakness, right? That, that, that those verbal condescending attacks, that's a sign of weakness to me, right? Like if you have to Absolutely. resort to that, it's because your argument is weak yep. and we are strong. So let's stay that way. I love Sorry. it. I, I went, I went, I went on a little bit of a rant there. So. I brought you here to go on rants, Danny. You can do as many as you want anytime. Um, that's amazing. I'm glad I feel the same way. And I've noticed it in two fronts. Okay. So we've got the naysayers, the attackers, the condescenders who are just trying to derail this and deflate people's confidence and, um, and try to make the, they're trying to cast shade on everything going on through the media so that the general public that isn't sure what's really going on is going to go, Oh yeah, no, I don't want to be affiliated with a bunch of terrorists or whatever, right? Like that's one attack. Yeah. But the other attack is also coming from people 
in my world, the alternative world, where there's the idea that, well, this is all just a big psyop. This is all a setup. They're trying to lay a trap and pull all the truckers in. Then there's going to be a false flag and Antifa's going to be there. And, you know, it's like everybody's fears come out. And um, I fully respect everybody's doubt in the fact that we are winning and, and the doubt that something positive can happen. Because I think part of it is we've been getting our ass kicked for so long. We've been, especially in Canada, that it's easy to just think that good can't happen. The, the dark side, mm -hmm. the tyrants, the criminals, they're the ones that control everything and they're unbeatable and there's nothing a bunch of truckers could do. And, and it's like, yeah, but all these movements in history that ever started, um, you know, the taking down of a totalitarian dict dictatorship, they started like that. Grassroots, uh, little chance of success, just the regular blue collar, middle class people that come out and say no and man, like it's, it's been successful before. We don't need everybody. We just need that, that symbol that people can galvanize around. And, um, but I see a lot of that out there. So what do you say to those people that have those kind of concerns? I mean, you, you've been in uh, ERT and, and policing and all of that. Um, you're obviously aware of what's been going on with these uh, funded groups the, to, that are there to provoke, right? We've even seen it in the past in Canada at different protests. Um, I feel like that will just bounce off this thing if they try anything because of how open and clear these convoy, uh, tr the truckers and everybody has been. But what do you think about that concern? And, and what do you think about that idea that all this is just a big setup to trap everybody and declare martial law and get the military on the streets and all that stuff? You know, I, I feel, I feel phone calls, messages, all kinds of stuff like that quite a bit lately. Um, and I'm always trying to tamper the, the fear around that with the idea that, look, it's easy to go down that route because there's just so many warning signals that have been going on and so many things that have happened in, in the last two years in our country and all over the world that we never thought we would see from our own government. Mm. But I always try and tamp the fear with, listen, don't panic over something that is not verified true right like there's a lot of stuff being spread on social media like you said like they're, they're going to bring in the rcmp they're going to bring in the military they're going to shut down the city i'm like okay if if that's not from a credible if you don't have that directly from a credible source don't fall prey to that panic and spread it because sometimes i think that might be a deliberate fear tactic being spread by the other side i agree but yep you know e even if they do even if that was to happen, it's like, look, even though we've seen some pretty disappointing things from some of our uh, police, especially our police leadership in this country, most cops on the, like the vast majority of cops I know, and I've had the pleasure of working with and the soldiers that I've known and trained with, they are good, decent Canadian people, and they're not gonna they're not gonna launch an attack on us for protesting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, worst case scenario, the city is shut down. Well, then you don't engage in any kind of violent confrontation, and you adjust your plan. I don't that's think right. that's going to happen. I don't believe that. I think. I think that's just people are are spinning these worst case scenarios all the time, and. It's okay to have a, uh, a contingency plan, but don't panic because of a what if, right? Like have a plan, 
and be ready for it. And and keep, you know, you can keep your plan simple. It doesn't have to be wicked and complex. I think the the fears over these major you know, martial law type scenarios in Canada, that's going to make people try and like, what if every single scenario, and it's just going to, it's going to prevent you from being productive and actually accomplishing your objective. If you're worrying about every possible little thing. So I do still have enough faith in our law enforcement and our military to know that there's lines that those people will not cross. You know what I mean? Um, even if they disagree with me about everything, I still feel like the vast majority of, of police in Canada are not going to do something that would be representative of like what we've seen in other tragic events in history. Now, the, the PSYOP side of things, I think maybe like, when you see those messages start circulating on social media about them doing things like that, like bringing in the military and and basically fortifying the city of Ottawa, that is the kind of thing that I would be suspicious. Maybe like a strategic fear tactic from the that seems more the official narrative, right? Now, so I mean my response is don't panic over something like that unless it is verified true from a very credible source. And even then panicking, isn't going to accomplish anything like adjust your plan and remain peaceful and remain lawful, right? Like we all, we have a lawful right to protest protected by our charter. Even though many of our charter free charter, our fundamental freedoms under the charter have been violated. Like, we're on the it, right side of history, though. We, we, we're, we're not going to be violently attacked by our own police and, law, and military for launching a protest, right? That, that's how I feel about it. So, yeah, so long as we can keep, like you said, not any lone wolves going out there doing anything. We know they could be bringing in provocateurs, etc. But yeah. what I love is every time I listen to the organizers and some of the truckers themselves. I mean, they're doing videos all over social media, TikTok, et cetera. Um, I just see, I see them actually being very aware of exactly what we're talking mm, about. Yes. They are not, they're not going in there ignorant of the fact that, yep, we're at war. Things can happen. They could plant a bunch of stuff. Who knows? But, um, you know, they're making moves that to me show that this isn't a psyop. They're trying to bury it. To me, a psyop is front page news, it's blared all over the media. Um, on the highways, they're shutting off the cameras so that people can't actually see the feeds to see how many trucks are going by, which is why you mm-hmm. have literally hundreds of thousands of Canadians all over the country lining up on the sides of the highways in minus 30, 40 degree weather. Um, and they are cheering these people on and they are getting footage. And I think that's the most powerful thing we can do is, yeah, take these trucks into Ottawa, do that bear hug, park them down, and then everybody keep the cameras rolling. That way, mm-hmm. we have that upper hand where the, it's not just the media that's there that can edit it out to make it look like something. We've got the full documented image of what really went down. And if everybody can have that vision of it being peaceful, and which is what it is. It, you, should, you can't not like this movement. I mean, come on. If no, you got man. moms out there. You got grandmas out there. You got kids out there. Everybody's crying tears of joy. They're singing the national anthem. I mean, come on, this is, you can't get any more Canadian than this. This is the perfect, the perfect way 
to do a peaceful non-compliance and get the government to listen when they weren't listening before. We tried these little protests. We tried writing our MPs. We tried doing the legal route. We tried getting doctors to go up and say stuff. It didn't work. So fine, you can have a bunch of trucks parked on your lawn. I mean, what's the big deal? Yeah, no, and like you said, the the every communication I've seen from the actual convoy has been 100% remain positive. We're not gonna entertain the, these notions that, you know, uh, anything that's being circulated that could bring the the convoy into disrepute it's like absolutely not we're not going to tolerate it and so and, and they've been they've been working cooperatively with police agencies across the country this entire trip this entire time right yeah. like they are actively communicating with police to, and so far most of what i've seen is that they're they're being it's being worked they're being met with a a, a significant level of cooperation right like the police yeah and that's been my experience throughout my entire career like i was i was working the last time a convoy protest came to ottawa and the police were involved right the ottawa police they facilitated the protest but you know and the, the organizers worked cooperatively with that and it, it it appears to me that that is exactly what this convoy group is doing as well right they've even i've even saw uh, a statement recently that they put out where like at no time are they ever going to interfere with emergency vehicles. So the, the planners have those logistics already in the works. So they know yeah. what they're doing. They're going to do this. They're going to do this lawfully. They're going to do this respectfully. And if any, any provocateurs will not be coming from the group itself, it'll be coming from the outside. I'm sure of it. And if and, and if you don't want to mess with truckers, it, okay? So all the little well, antifa guys it. out there, don't mess with these truckers. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, and I, I, I've personally been at protests where antifa has shown up to counter protest another movement. We our role was there to observe and to make sure the you know keep the peace and right. and provide information to the people that were on the ground and it was always my experience that it was the Antifa groups that were the provocateurs. Always, always, always. Yeah. Especially if they had more numbers, then they would get really bold, really aggressive. But I don't know, some of the numbers I'm hearing about this movement, you know, possibly a half a million people coming. You know, a lot of them are going to be blue collar working people, probably know how to handle themselves. Antifa better stay home, I think. I don't, yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think that they would, it would do them any good to show up and try and initiate anything. And these people have so much confidence. I mean, you talk to some of these truckers and these blue collar guys and these farmers and stuff, and these types of people, they're just good people. They're just, they're, they're the best yeah. people. They're strong. They don't need to prove anything. So they're not going to go out of their way to make examples. It's just going to literally be like, you know, flicking a fly off your sleeve. Like it's not, it's and that's the idea that it is based on peace is incredible. And I actually have the statement. I should read it for people real quick. This was put out by the leaders, the organizers of this protest to actually contradict what CTV News and CBC was saying about them. And uh, they go, this is the facts that the media is not sharing. The trucking convoy is not anti-vaccination. It is anti-government mandates. Many of us are vaccinated. We simply believe that every Canadian should be free to choose and face no discrimination or restrictions in their freedom due to their choice. The Canadian Trucking Alliance is a spineless private organization that does not speak for us. And they're addressing the fact that the media is trying to parade yeah. it out there that, look, their own trucking uh, council doesn't support them. But, well, 
these guys are like, they don't speak for us. No more lockdowns, no forced vaccination. And yes, it is forced when you choose between a shot you don't want and your ability to feed yourself and your family. Truckers will not block emergency vehicles at any point ever and will even assist any person in need at any point in the convoy or protest. Safety plans are in place. Drivers have been briefed and signed documents at their respective checkpoints. The money raised now is over $4 million. <laughs> this is growing by the minute. Um, will be distributed following a strict procedure. Drivers must register, check in with their respective road captains, and submit receipts in order to be reimbursed. All remaining funds will be donated, get this, to a veterans association in Canada. And there is a lawyer and accountant overseeing this. Like how amazing, like, come on. And the truckers are good at this stuff because that's what a trucker has to do. They submit their receipts for gas, for travel. Mm -hmm. They're already used to this. Uh, last one was, uh, this could be a simple largest, the simple largest protest in Canadian history. People who oppose government mandates are not the tiny group that the media has tried to make us believe. We are significant in numbers, growing by the day, and we will not back down. See you all on the flip side. God bless everyone who is fighting for our freedom and our futures. I just love it. These guys. Oh man. Level. Yeah, no, they they got they got their act together, man. They know what they're doing, and so this this isn't going to get derailed easily. Like I said earlier, what the what the elites didn't plan for was the strength and the courage and the integrity of Canadian working men and women, right? Like that's right. You, you don't push. They push too far. Like, remember, we talked yeah. about the line in the sand back in the, the first interview. Like, they crossed it, and now they're getting, they're getting pushed back. And I, I do believe this is our best shot. And this, is, this doesn't go back in the bag. This is, these people, the light, the light has, the torch has been lit in everybody. Okay, so mm -hmm. even if they shut down this convoy tomorrow and send everybody packing, which is not going to happen, but if that's something people worry about, we already made a major victory here of uniting the country and giving the optics to the entire country and the world. Danny, people are messaging me from all over the world. They're watching Canada like a hawk right now. They look at these truckers. They look at what's going on in Canada as a symbolic proof that there is an awakening taking place and people are starting to fight back. And never forget that there's a lot of other victories that are happening. I mean, Reiner Fulmich is ready to start kicking off um, some actual legal proceedings and trying to bring out indictments. You've got... Um, you know, this, uh, Senator Ron, uh, Senator Johnson in the U S just yep. held a second opinion. You can find that on rumble and there's doctors and nurses basically saying what they actually saw on the ground in the whole pandemic. Um, there's so many things coming apart. Oh, England starts to back away from the mandates. Uh, other European countries backing down more States are backing down the federal uh, Supreme court in the U S they have overturned Biden's you know, nationwide mandates. Like, so a lot of things are happening. So I don't know what the liberals in Canada or even the fake conservatives in Canada over in Ottawa think they're going to accomplish by trying to continue to push something that the rest of the world is already walking away from. And now they've got, I think there's going to be a million people there in Ottawa. I would not, I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. And uh, I wonder what they're going to do about this, man. Well, I've been on the phone steady all day and messaging nonstop over the last few days, like almost everyone I've been in contact with is coming, right? Like people right from Alberta are, that aren't even truck drivers are, are joining the convoy as well, right? Um, it, it, I would not be surprised if it, if it was over a half a million for sure.
Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. and, and like you said, this, this is about way more than just the vaccine mandate, right? Like for the truckers, they are demanding that an end to all mandates. And so I interpret that to mean like no more lockdowns, businesses open up. Like I've, I've heard that, that yep. expressed on, uh, you can follow the truckers, um, on, I think it's the Zello app. They're actually communicating, like people are calling in and saying, thank you. And then the, some of the truckers will respond. Um, oh, cool. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I think now is the perfect time for like businesses, restaurants along the way, a hundred percent. I would support open up, open up. They can't shut all of us down. Right. Like I think, um, I don't remember if we talked about this, the first interview, but I've said before, like this ends when enough of us say it does, right? Like there is alternatives out there. There There've been other States in the U S there's been other countries that took a way different approach than we did and and seem to be doing better than we are right now you know um again that is best left to be debated by actual experts in scientific and medical areas but just as a lay person you can search it you can search up like the infection fatality rate for florida as opposed to canada you know texas as opposed to canada and then if you want a like another country comparison uh, you do, you, you know, I mean, everyone knows about Sweden and they took a, va- a radically different approach. They were heavily criticized for it, but they seem to be doing better than we are now. The I mean, proof's in the pudding. I mean, when Sweden's and, blocking Israel from flying in, people from Israel coming in, because Israel, of course, is the most vaccinated country on the face of the earth, and they're having massive outbreaks of cases all over the place, uh, which means either the PCR test is pinging false positives or the vaccines are failing or both. And so Sweden goes, yeah, you guys can't fly into our country with, <laughs> without screening or whatever, because we're worried that you guys being fully vaccinated who are spreading the disease are going to come to our country, which is a mixed bag. Some people got it. Some people didn't, but they never mandated it. And I thought yeah. that was quite ironic to see and more things like that, that are happening. It's incredible. Well, I mean, like one of the people I've had the, I mean, I've had the pleasure of meeting a ton of incredible experts throughout this time. But one of the people that sticks out, sorry, two of the people that really stick out, particularly in regard to what we're talking about, like ending man, like taking the Great Barrington Declaration approach is, uh, have you, you know, retired Lieutenant Colonel David Redman? I He's don't, amazing. maybe I've seen him. Oh, really? Okay. I should He's be. incredible. So I've come into contact with him again, with this taking back our freedoms group and like uh, former military ran the emergency management program for the Alberta government for a number of years. He's written papers on Canada. Uh, his one big paper that I read, like just prior to Christmas, after I learned about who he was and I got to speak to him, was it's titled Canada's deadly response to COVID-19. And he details like, how all the at the federal level, all the province provinces and territories, they all have pre-approved pandemic response plans, and we didn't follow any of it. We basically threw it yeah, all out the bag incredible. and just gave all the power to medical officers of health, and the premiers just sat back and did whatever they were told from the medical perspective only, as opposed to like looking at a whole um, public and private sector approach, right? Like 
I don't like using this word. I've said this before about like stakeholders because it's such a government and RCMP thing to say. But, you know, everyone who's affected by it, you know, all the different industries coming together and and basically working with the emergency management uh, staff as to like how to best prepare a pandemic response for each individual sector. And so he is huge. And like uh, that, that, that paper, it's, it's a, it's very intriguing. It's, it's about 130 pages, but he's got all the references and everything. And he shows like how essentially it boils down to lockdowns, masking healthy people, never part of the plan, especially for something, uh, the severity of COVID-19, right? Like, if I remember correctly from looking at the table that was in there, that was, I believe, taken from a WHO document. Um, like you're only going to consider closures, like, like lockdowns. If it's like a, a severe, like if it falls within the severe category, like something uh, right. as fatal as the Spanish flu, like, so, and according to Mr. Redmond's analysis, that's, in that paper, it's which is uh, about 36 times more lethal than COVID, like COVID would have fallen into a moderate. And so none of these uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions that he details would have applied. And so after reading this, I was intrigued by this, right? And so I went looking and I, I went through the Canadian pandemic response plan, which is, it's much more condensed because obviously the, the healthcare is predominantly managed by the provinces and territories. So I actually read the Ontario one first, and then I went back and, and started looking at the federal one. And so um, am I able to share my screen? You are. If you uh, see there's some buttons yeah, at the see, bottom. In the middle there. Screen okay. share, and then you can pick a tab or your full screen. And if there's any, is there any audio or is it just a document or something? No, it's just it's just the, the audio, or sorry, the uh, the actual document which is okay. actually the so. current Canadian federal pandemic pandemic response plan or preparedness Perfect. guide for health sector. It's, it's specific to influenza. Cause I think that's what they were anticipating the next big pandemic would be. Right. But I mean, it talks right in there about how it was based on like experience with previous pandemics and best practices, lesson learned from H1N1 and the initial SARS outbreak. And <clears throat> Yeah. So once you just if you once you have it selected there, yeah, I see it. Hold on, let me bring it. Okay. Up. Uh, there we. Oh, it's gonna pull up your. Can I show this? Do you see this? Yep, Canada's right. approach to pandemic influenza. Okay, there so we go. some of the some of the highlights here, uh, goals and objectives, and this is a, almost the exact same language you would see in the Ontario pandemic response plan. Uh, okay. minimize serious illness and overall death. Yep. Fair enough. Um, and then number two, minimizing so societal disruption. So our plan was, Oh, there you are again. I got to stop the screen share, I guess just briefly. Um, that's cool. Hello. Yeah, we're good. So our our plan was a Great Barrington Declaration approach. Like, if you go through that document, I can show you a couple of other uh, highlights. You know, you read through it and it's just popping out at you nonstop. Like, 
why didn't we follow our own plan? Like this plan was updated, I think, August of 2018. And when you read Teresa Tam's bio, so can I share my screen again quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, do actually your screen is still up. So if you just pull it up, I can, okay. I can and okay, then switch so to that. This tab. Is, yeah, here we go. This is a bio of Dr. Tam, uh, women in medicine. And when you go down to, I think the vocational change section here, right. Possibly career development. You can look at this document. Here we go. This report was written after the SARS pandemic, which hit Toronto in 2003 and has been updated several times since now, including advice based on the H1N1 outbreak in 2009. So she was heavily involved in developing what our actual pre-approved pandemic response plan was. And so she knows, she knows all of this information. And yet it appears as though we threw that plan completely out the window. So just a couple of things. I'll have to scroll through here if you don't mind. Yeah, I, sure. I, jotted I jotted down a couple of notes of things that I really wanted to hit. So the objectives were the main ones. And here we go. Like you see this support of evidence informed decision making. You always yeah. hear them talk about modeling, modeling, modeling. And Redmond mentions that in his paper too about how you know, initially at the beginning, you may have to rely on modeling, but I mean, we're two years into this now and we have real world evidence that we can be making policy decisions on, yet you'll still hear her referring to modeling. Um, Which to me says everything we need to know, you know, right from the Neil Ferguson stats that flopped and all the, every prediction they've made has been complete nonsense. Yeah. Okay. So... One thing you would notice over and over again here and under uh, pandemic roles and responsibilities, if you go down to category C, antiviral medications and influenza vaccines. So full disclosure, a lot of this, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but in both the federal and the provincial for Ontario, they do have categories or uh, chapters specific to vaccination or immunization. But Two things I would argue on that point would be, well, we're talking about influenza, which we've had those shots for a long time. And even in the Ontario one, it specifies like matching it to the current circulating strain, which we know is a major criticism of just continually boosting people with something right, yeah. that, that is already, you know, questionable about effectiveness against Delta and Omicron. But this antiviral medications, it shows up in this document over and over and over again. And so in, a, in the Ontario plan and the federal plan, it talks about one of the key responsibilities is dispensing antiviral medications to pharmacies and distribution centers to develop, like under acting, acting under the precautionary principle where you cannot wait for scientific certainty uh, to essentially formulate like, early treatment outpatient care, which has right. been a, com which has been comp not just ignored, but censored and suppressed and attacked in, in our country. Right. And, yeah. you know, they, 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 it appears as though they act under that precautionary principle for, for approval of the injections and for the use of like something like remdesivir in the hospital, but then they are completely ignoring all of the evidence from 
incredible professionals all around the world about multi-drug treatment protocols. Uh, well, and did you hear, did you hear Danny in the U S there was, I'm not, I'm trying to remember what state it was. Maybe someone in the chat can let us know. I think it's they, New Hampshire. They pulled the monoclonal antibodies. Oh, Florida. Yeah, that's Florida. Florida. So that's yeah, incredible. Why would Florida? Yeah. That's so well, weird. Well, Florida has been using them, right? They set up treatment yeah. centers all over the state and they were like crushing COVID. And now they're having a fight with the Biden administration mm. and the FDA pulling the approval. Um, so 3.6.2 under transmission, you know, it is possible in asymptomatic persons, but it is greater when symptoms such as coughing present, et cetera. And so like that in itself, you know, it's, it's, it's possible, right? And, and they are treating COVID the same, but a lot of the people that I've been paying attention to both here in Canada and in the United States say like, this is very difficult to find. And that's why early on you were seeing like Fauci and Tam like saying, essentially telling you that you didn't need to worry about masks. And then they changed their mind. And then just recently, Teresa Tam again um, admitted that, well, cloth masks and even the surgical masks aren't really adequate protection. You almost would need like a fit tested N95 respirator, which is consistent with what is in the current Ontario pandemic response plan for healthcare providers when they're dealing with infectious persons. But um, she comes out to tell us this two years in well, and, and you, this disinformation already existed. We already knew this. And, and if you walked around a grocery store and asked people if they knew what she had recently said about masking, I bet most of them would have no idea, right? Like, because it's, yeah. it's not like they make it huge news that she said that, oh yeah, no, the masks that everyone has been wearing for two years aren't really effective. Uh, even though well, Byron Bridal... People are just going by the guidelines, so they don't care what the even if the news comes out and go like because there's been nothing but contradictions this entire time, which is what I've been working on trying to show people. Like, why are there so many contradictions? And they just still go with, well, I just base it all off whatever the guidelines are. That's what I do, you know. So yes. people aren't even they're not fact checking anything. No, no, I, 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 and I can understand that to a degree, like. I had a healthy skepticism already. So that's probably why I looked into things yeah. deeper for myself, but you know, people are busy and you should be able to trust that your government and media are telling you the truth. You should be able to, I just don't trust that they are. Um, yeah. The pandemic epidemiology, you know, novel virus expected to displace circulating stream uh, strains. Uh, and then after the pandemic, it will continue as a circulating strain. So circulating strain, sorry. So, you know, that to me shows, okay, well, this idea of zero COVID by extreme public health measures was, when was that ever believed to be a real possibility, right? And so why are, why do we yeah. continue to behave like it when, if you look around the world, so many other countries have adopted a different approach. And then this one here, you know, more severe disease and mortality expected to occur in the young and persons without underlying health conditions compared to seasonal influenza. Well, I guess, again, this is specific to influenza, but that's not what we've seen with COVID, right? Like for the most part, young, healthy people fare very well, especially children. Uh, yeah. And that's the other thing okay. when they're going after these five to 11 year olds with these shots. I mean, that's just, there's zero science to back that up. Yeah. So here you go. Like this, this is their severity, high transmission, high clinical severity, right? This is, I believe this is a, a okay, sorry. This is a CDC table. 
but I think Redmond's paper had one that was from the WHO, which essentially showed like the same idea. Whereas, so the Spanish flu 1918 would have been considered like severe, right? Whereas like even H1N1 would have been down here in the moderate category, I think. And then by his analysis, Mr. Redmond's analysis, COVID would fall in the, in the moderate. And so only from what I could find in the Ontario um, plan anyway, like school closures, lockdowns, all that kind of stuff was only really to be considered as like a last case scenario for something that was up here, like in this severity category. And again, I think I mentioned he, he analyzed the infection fatality rate of the Spanish flu to be about 36 times greater that of COVID. Um, so, but I mean, like when you look at this table, you know, they're, they're treating COVID as if it's in the severe category when by independent analysis it's more within the moderate uh anyways i i i won't take up too much more time on this but i will just show um the some of the non-pharmaceutical interventions that are that are it's it's right part of uh again this is the federal plan the provincial one for ontario is is a lot more content But if you look at 4.3, public health measures, um, you know, specifically right here, range from actions taken by individuals, example, hand hygiene, self-isolation, you know, when ill, uh, to actions for community workplaces and settings like common or any of common surfaces, right? So the stuff we've always done. Yes. And like when you when you read through it more in depth. Like, here you go, um, hand hygiene, washing your hands, coughing etiquette into your elbow, staying home while sick, right? Yeah, there's nothing sick. in here about masking a healthy human being, right? Like, in fact, there's right. many scientific medical experts out there that have published papers showing that's more harmful than beneficial to the healthy person wearing it, right? Yeah. Um, and I just want to finish off this one thing I found in here, and again, full disclosure, there's stuff in here about vaccinations, but this antiviral medications here. So Canada's antiviral strategy supports federal, provincial, territorial stockpiles, antiviral medications for use in the event of an influenza pandemic. Sorry guys, bear with us. We'll have them back in a moment here. Okay, test one, two, test one, two. Let's just see if we're still live, at least on some of the platforms. Bear with us, my friends. Seems we've had some very interesting, sudden, and very strange technical issues here. So we're just navigating our way through that. Okay, it looks like we're live, at least on DLive. Show is back on. Okay, good. Oh, it looks like we're live back on the foxhole. Okay, well, Danny, before they come after us for more here, (laughs) or the whatever there's weird internet issues going on. Um, Let's maybe wrap it up with a sort of finishing message that you have here of uh, how do you see things going? Um, What are some things that you can tell people to encourage them during this time, especially here in Canada, but I've got people listening from all over the world. Is Canada maybe an example to look at right now? Um, Should the world be watching this convoy? I think they should, but what are your thoughts? Well, I think the world already is like we're, we're getting people from the United States cheering it on. I just saw a post where like there's I think it's in Australia 
there's like a, a convoy being started in Australia to head towards their legislature, you know, and kind of watching, I think it was like watching from Perth, Australia, like watching the Canadian convoy. You know, I saw lots of people in your chat here from different parts of the world. Uh, when I was listening to the truckers speak yesterday while I was driving home on that Zello app, I could hear um, there was a, a woman from the Ukraine came on, you know, cheering on the, the people of Canada and that, you know, the Ukraine is watching. So awesome. I absolutely think like this is, this is our moment to stand up for, you know, the old true North strong and free, right? Like I think take some comfort in the fact that there are way more people in this country that know that mandates are wrong, right? Despite what the, despite what the media would have you believe, you know, some of the, some of those polls that I did see, you know, they were, they hit me in the gut a little bit, but then I would see another one where I would actually vote. Like someone would send it to me and it would show you the results. And it'd be like over 90% of Canadians would say that someone who chose my path should not face any penalty. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, it's what you see in the media is not reflective of what the real picture of things is on the ground. Um, I think for me, one thing that I have advocated uh, is is the peaceful, respectful non-compliance. And so uh, an example, like the easiest example for me is like the mask issue, right? As soon as I started speaking out and I started advocating for that, I knew like, okay, no more for me. I can't, you know, even if it's easy for me to, so I can go into Costco and get what I need. It's like, I, I cannot be, I cannot bend to the narrative if I'm telling other people not to. So for a private business, I made up this plan that like, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to be honest. If someone asks me about the mask, I just say, I don't wear one. And if they say, can I ask why? Or do you have a medical exemption? I just say respectfully, do not have the lawful authority to ask me that. I've only had to say that once. And it was a non-issue. The young, the young fella just walked away. But it was good because I had two other guys there talking to me about the face mask issue. They just approached me about it. And one guy was like, really, you could tell he was very interested to see how I got away with it. Like how right. I wasn't yeah. being challenged and kicked out of the store. And so it was perfect timing. I got to say it, but you know, and, and I, the young guy came up and he asked me and I was very respectful in my delivery. And he just said, okay. And walked away. Um, I have been turned away at Costco one time, which wasn't a big deal. And then, um, for, I, I've rarely, other than that, I've, I've very, I've never been challenged by a business, but I have, I have it in my plan. I have my plan about what I'm going to say. And then if it becomes like belligerent, I'm just going to disengage, right? Like, especially yeah, if it's a private leave. business, I'm not there to give them a hard time, but if they're not going to serve me, then I'll take my business elsewhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, if it's a public facility, I'm willing to push the boundary a little bit further because it's like, no, I'm a taxpayer. I have a legal right to be here and I know what my authorities are. So I think that's a, another piece of advice I would give people, like depending on what province territory you're in, like do some research on the legislation that is applicable to your province. Like in, in Ontario right now, we're under the reopening Ontario act, which falls under the authority of the emergency management and civil protection act. And so I've gone through, that document, I have a fair amount of knowledge about what 
authorities they're acting under in order to implement some of these restrictions. But I also know a lot of people that have been uh, subject to fines or law enforcement intervention. It's they, they've been like, they use the trespass act. So then I went and researched the trespass act to find out, okay, where's my limit, right? Like at what point do I have to disengage to avoid a confrontation or to avoid getting arrested? Cause I mean, I'll challenge it. I'm happy to have a conversation with bylaw or law enforcement. If someone decides that they want to call them on me, but I don't want to get into an, into a confrontation with a mother Leo, right? Like that, that was my profession for the last 15 years. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put them in that position. And that would reflect poorly on the Mounties for freedom, right? Like we're right. trying to, we're trying to get law enforcement on board with standing up with us. So the last thing I want to do is alienate myself from that possibility. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but for the most part, yeah, I go unchallenged. I just That's walk in there. Like, like I just saw someone in, in the, in the chat there, like I walk in with confidence and I have a plan. I have a plan and I have a, a walk away point predetermined. So I know where my boundaries are. Like I know at what yep. point, I have to walk away to avoid things from getting ugly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think even just the, just seeing the person go in without a mask and having that discussion, the more people that have, that are working in these jobs, uh, the more people around you that are seeing this take place, it makes them second guess. And it makes, it's not so easy that everybody just thinks this is normal and this is accepted by everybody. We're all just doing this. Every time someone challenges one of these store clerks or these waitresses or whoever it is um, and says, no, I'm standing up. I, I can't wear it or I don't, I won't wear it or whatever it is. That is one less person that they can just look at as another someone just going along with this. We mm -hmm. have to show in the way that these truckers are showing, we're not going along with this. We need to take that further. And I think there's actually been a lot of memes going around um, that as of the 29th, it's over. So everybody in Canada behave as such. That's, that's what the truckers are asking is let's just stop complying all together all at once. This is, this is the flag is in the ground. This is the plan. Let, no more masks, none of this stuff, no more showing passports. If we all do it, if everybody that's supporting this convoy all does it at the same time, <laughs> what are they going to do? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And anytime I see one or anytime I see another person that's, uh, going has you know going maskless i make a point of going over to them talking to them you know introducing myself yeah some know who i am some are like oh yeah i've heard of bounties for freedom and so we talk about things like that and i actually i usually try and make a point of talking to one of the employees but very respectfully like yeah for example i go to the deli section to get meat for pizza movie night for the family and the the young the young young guy or young girl who's working there because they're usually like early, you know late teens young adults i'll just say like you know i know you have to wear that for work but you know it doesn't really do anything if you listen to groups like you know the canadian covid care alliance or the brownstone institute and like it right. they're like masking healthy people was never part of our pandemic response plan and and then you know the the normal response i get is like really and i'm like yeah and then i'll talk a little bit about it and they'll be like well you know i never really looked into this myself at all i'm like well most people haven't i'm like because 
you know, you should be able to trust that your government and public health and media people are giving you accurate information. I'm like, but this was never part of our own pandemic response plan. And then I usually put a plug in there like, hey, check out Mounties for Freedom. Check out the Canadian COVID care alliance, you know, uh, all my trusted sources of information I, I plug in. Most of the time, it's met with pretty positive feedback. Every now and then, people are just like, yeah, whatever, man. I just wear it for work. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. But at least it's like I'm trying to plant a seed, right? But most of the time, people are pretty receptive. And they're like, yeah, I will check that out. And whether they do or not, I don't know. But that's just little things. They can't unhear it. They can't That's little it. things everybody can do to try and, like, change the narrative, right? Because right. even if the mandates do end, like, this weekend because of the truckers being awesome, I still think it's going to take time for people to let go of that notion that they need their mask, right? Like, I think, I think that's going to be a psychological scar we're going to carry for a while, right? Like people are still, a lot of people are still going to be fearful of, of just living and, and, you know, like treating people like that they're a threat just because they're walking around breathing. Like that's, We've never behaved like that before. Yeah, we're going to have to help repair that damage. And that's why when I saw what went down here in BC in the summer last year, where they restrict or they got rid of the mask mandates and all that, it was awesome because you'd go into a store and it'd be like 50% of the people had it, 50% of the people did it, or there's differences depending on where you went. And nobody said anything to anybody for the most part. You leave everybody alone. And that's why I go, hey, if you want to have the belief that this is some kind of a safety device or it's a security blanket or whatever. I respect your right. You can wear whatever you mm -hmm. want. Just don't make me do it. Like I'm a healthy person. If I was sick, I would stay home. Exactly. Uh, just like before all this, I'm not an irresponsible person. I'm not sick just because there's this alleged pandemic. I'm healthy, you know, and, um, and also your people need to, we need to start educating people on what you said, where it's actually causing harm. It's actually, you're reinfecting yourself. Viral mm -hmm. pneumonia, go look that up, you know, uh, just understand that this is psychologically damaging for children. Could we, I want to talk about that in this, in yes. this whole thing is like the, the effects psychologically on young children is unbelievable. But, um, in the end, let's just agree on the freedom argument because that's yeah. something we can agree on. If you want to wear the mask, if you want to get uh, a jab every three weeks for the rest of your life, you want to live in lockdown, you are free to do that, but don't force me to do it because I don't want to live like that, you know? Yeah. Well, I, uh, a, a very good friend of mine that I've I've just only got to know within the last probably two months, and her and her husband are amazing. They've been great with uh, me and my family. She says, like, people are so afraid of dying from COVID that they've completely stopped living. I mean, you're right, right? Like, I hear, I hear that sentiment. Some people think, well, I still feel free. It's like, how free can you feel if you still have to wear a mask everywhere and you still have to show like your, your vaccine passport just to get into places, right? Like that's not freedom. That's yeah. not, not, not in my mind. That's not freedom. And people need to see that this is now a precedent they're building into society and they're not going to stop there. I mean, they're going to go to the whole social credit system. Like you can see it. it, they're saying it, you know? So let's hope that this trucker movement has all the protection and momentum behind it. Um, I, I put my good energy and intention out to those guys every day and to the Canadians coming from all over the country that are going down there. I was going to go myself, but I'm in, I'm on Vancouver Island and, uh, there's no guarantee of being able to get back to my family. So I'll be here 
running these shows, doing updates. And, and Danny, I want to extend an invitation. Uh, anytime you have an update or you want to share, my platform is yours or Mounties for Freedom or Police on Guard for Thee or I'm here to help in any way that I can and cover this because we know the media is not going to tell the truth. And that's why we are the media now. So I just, I salute you for what you've been doing and um, let's unite the clans and go kick some ass, man. Oh man, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, um, I watched your, your short video clip just the other day about how it's time for you, for the mainstream media to basically like, you're done. When you said like, you're done, yeah. we are the media now. I was like, yes. I love it. I love it. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, guys. You know, we'll take it from here. We got That's this. That's right. Yeah, that was good. I really enjoyed that. And I think that, that went good. that went viral, especially. I don't know many police officers that are giant fans of mainstream media. So I think the law, that resonates with the law enforcement community for sure. But well, we're backing you guys. But the, uh, if, if you're a police officer in this country and you're on the fence, or you were worried about the pressure of your job or anything like that. Look at this convoy. Look at what's going on in Canada. Be on the right side of history. You have tons of support now. Uh, maybe before it was a little bit hard to dodge all the bullets, but now um, you're going to be looked at as a hero in this country to take a stand for what this country was founded on. And so I encourage you, this is the time. Reach out to Mounties for Freedom. Get in touch. Um, let's unite together. And let's take this country back and make it even better than it's ever been before. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to see happen. And it should be done peacefully and it should be done legally with the real laws of this country, not the fake ones that they keep making up every five minutes, the real laws. Let's follow that. We don't have to reinvent the wheel and we can win this, man. Hey, um, can I just give one shout out sure. before we end off? So I was contacted a while back and as a result, I wrote a letter to the chief of the Vancouver police department. Um, when I included, I included a few like quick hitter, powerful references that I had obtained from like my trusted sources, basically like explaining who I was, what has happened to me over the result of the federal mandates and you know, why in my, from my own investigation into things, there's no, legitimate public health scientific rationale to mandate this and he responded he actually replied really? yeah he he so my my belief is that they were initially the vpd were not mandating it for their officers they were allowing people to still test my my understanding is that they were being pressured to change that and so before they had that meeting was when I was contacted and I ended up writing him a, a message directly. And I don't, I have no idea if it had an influence or not on the decision, but my, I, I think they still retain the same status. They're still able to, to test before they're on duty. Hmm. And, but I just thought I wanted to acknowledge him because he acknowledged my message and thank me for it. It was very brief, but it was, you know, at least he acknowledged me and he replied. And so I asked him if I could publicly share that and you very brief answer. Yes. And, you know, take care of yourself. Like, Oh, so good. cause I mean, he, you can tell he's, he's, he's a busy, busy man, right? He's managing the entire Vancouver police department, but he still took the time to acknowledge me and reply to me. That is not something I got from 
any of our senior executive in the RCMP through any of my concerns. And that I know many members who have expressed concerns and they're either ignored or they get like very minimal cut and paste replies. So I thanked him for his, for his leadership, right? Like he took the time to acknowledge me and reply to me. My own organization wouldn't even do that for after 15 years. And so good for you, Chief Palmer. I hope, uh, I hope in you to show the leadership that you're. Oh, very good. It's so good to hear. I think there's a lot more people, especially now the timing is right for this. Maybe a while back, it wasn't quite there, but this thing's coming apart at the seams. It's obvious people have had enough. They're over it. I even saw some, one of the per- people on, uh, John Stewart's show was not John Stewart, uh, Bill Maher's show. Bill Maher came out and she, <laughs> yeah. Bill Maher, yeah, she came out and she's like, I'm done with COVID. And she was like one of the most COVID people you can imagine. And she came out and basically just started saying, but when you really look into it, it turns out there's no science to back it up. I'm like, wow. So it's, it's rolling downhill real quick. And, um, that's why I start to urge people. I'm like, just so you know, legal actions are going to start kicking off. Uh, people are not going to just allow this to go away and go back to normal. I can promise you that. So this is pretty much the last chance that anybody listening who was on the fence was making that decision. Uh, this is the last opportunity before the books are closed, the, the votes are in, and uh, you, know, you have that opportunity to stand for what's right. So I urge you to do it. The support is there. We'll welcome you with open arms. There's no animosity. There's no guilt. There's no, um, I don't hate anybody. I don't want revenge on anybody. I just want to get out of this. And I want everybody to have their freedom back and their health. We can totally talk about health solutions too, so that people aren't living in fear of all these different things. And um, so I encourage this. Dan, it's been so great to talk to you, man. Let's stay in touch. Thank you for what you're doing. You're a strong patriot fighting for this country. Um, And you're welcome back anytime, brother. Hey, man, it's always a pleasure to see you, Mr. Whitehead. Take care and thank you for giving me another opportunity to speak. I, uh, man, people like you are, have never been more important globally. So, oh, thank you. Well, it's done. an honor. An honor to serve. All right, man. And uh, let's, keep, let's keep doing it. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. We'll catch everybody next time. I got more updates coming your way. Follow the Trucker for Freedom. Go on Twitter, check out the hashtags, share the videos far and wide. Let's take this country back and let's do it the right way. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk later. Cheers.